0: Hi there, this is Daniel Foytek. I co-create and produce The Lift along with my good friend, Cynthia Lohman. And I just wanted to take a quick minute here to thank everybody who took the time to review us in iTunes. As always, because you were kind enough to take the time to review the show, I wanted to take a moment and just read the reviews and say thank you. If you'd like to hear your review right on the show, leave us one at itunes.victoriaslift.com. We had five reviews since our last show, which is fantastic. Thanks so much to everyone for taking the time to write a review for us and rate the show on iTunes. It means a lot to know that you guys are listening and having fun doing it. First up, Hollywood, if she could, I'm a horror junkie, and this is one of the best out there. While my kids are waiting for new episodes of the flash, I'm always anticipating new episodes of the lift, great writing and fantastic narration. And Victoria, I hope our paths cross someday or do I? Next up, Danger Kitten. Love this podcast. The stories are great. Helps me get through the workday. Next up, Vash 512. I'm always looking for a good horror podcast. And with some of the best ones like Black Tapes Podcast having recently taken a dive in quality, it's great to hear The Lift having such a fantastic story from so many people. It's interesting to hear different writers take a look at Victoria and how she offers redemption or damnation to those who deserve it. I'm always looking forward to the next episode. Hearing Victoria's giggles, I want to know more about her, so I'll always listen to hear the next part of her story. Great work, everyone. Keep it up. Next up, Itzy and the Dark Arts. Love this. I can't get enough of this podcast. It gives me great ideas for my art. Keep it up, guys. Last, Bapperson, or Bapperson. I'm not sure. B-A-P-P-E-R-S-O-N. Wonderfully creepy. The creepy girl and her mysterious lift draw me in repeatedly. This is one of my favorite podcasts now. It is difficult to describe, however. It is about stories, a creepy girl, and a lift. Is Victoria benevolent, malevolent, or something else entirely? The more I listen, the less I know. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so thank you all so much for taking the time to review the show. Really appreciate it. We also had a great little piece written about us by MJ Ors over at MJ Orr's author.wordpress.com called frighten up your day with these seven horror podcasts. We are number six on the list with no sleep podcast, lore night fears, small town horror. We're alive and welcome to nightville. What a great list and what an honor to be on the list. So thanks so much for taking the time to include us and for letting your fans know about us. You can find that article in the show notes for today's show. And now without further ado, Let's go for a ride. Hey, C. Brian Brown here, and I'm the author for today's episode of The Lift, The Burden of Others. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at cbrianbrown.net. You can find more episodes of The Lift at
1: victoriaslift.com. Enjoy. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. Ninety-one percent of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
0: Randy Corrigan lets the woman push him against the stone wall and dig her teeth into the scented piece of skin between his neck and shoulder. She moans and grabs his erection through his jeans. Randy's fingers flex on her waist and slide up under her shirt onto hot feverish skin. He licks up her jaw, raising her head with his tongue until he captures her mouth with his own. He growls into the kiss, his passion a living thing, an uncontrollable entity with a mind of its own. He rolls her to the right into a wall that is no longer there. She shrieks and falls backward dragging Randy with her. He registers a door, slightly ajar, behind them. And when she hits it with the small of her back, they plunge through. Something catches at the threshold. Randy assumes it's one of her high heels, and they tip like a cut tree. His scream mixes with hers as the ground rushes to meet them. Her scream cuts off when Randy lands his weight smashing her head into the tiled floor with a thick and meaty sound of an axe sinking into wood. It's a sound of finality, and it echoes. The dense noise reverberates for a full 30 seconds before dying. Oh, shit, Randy breathes, pushing upward. His right hand slips in the blood, pulling around the woman's head. Hey, you all right? Come on, get up. You get up, he thinks. Randy, get up. You have to leave. He gets up, swaying for a moment, arms out for balance. You'll be fine, he mutters to the woman. Really? But I have to go. Randy grabs the door handle and yanks. The knob slips out of his hand and in his hurry to leave, he stumbles. He tries again, and the door shakes as he pulls, but refuses to open. No, this can't be happening. He takes the knob in both hands this time and plants his feet, shoulder-width apart. He bends his knees and uses his legs to pull. The veins on his forehead pulse as he strains and grunts. Open Sesame, you son of a bitch! The door ignores his command and Randy kicks it once, twice, and rears his leg back to kick it a third time when an elevator bell dings somewhere behind him. The familiar tone, usually quite welcome, tolls like an old ominous church bell. Come, it says, I'll be your salvation, or my ruination." he thinks.
2: I am, Victoria. I am Victoria. Once upon a time, there was a place that became lost. Became it is a place where story and substance combine. Where the reality of story shapes thoughts. Where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. The choices you made in the past don't matter. But the choice you make now is the one that will set your fate.
0: His surroundings come into focus for the first time. The door he'd fallen through is made of old, roughed up and rat-gnawed wood. Above the rotting frame is a dusty, dusty, lamp-lit exit sign that probably hasn't worked in 50 years or more. The woman's body lies in a natural foyer between the two rooms, one marked office, the other utility. Their doors, just as old and cracked and scarred as the other, hang askew from rusty hinges. Across the building... A set of glass double doors reflect the soft glow of streetlights outside. Randy steps over the woman's body. He won't look at her and walks into a lobby. His steps kick up small tornadoes of dust from the tiled floor. The elevators, a bank of five, are off to his right. The arrow above the middle car glimmers, not unlike a child's nightlight. Opposite the elevators, a tarnished brass and faded oak reception counter forms a bunker for the five lone chairs occupying the area between the desk and the wall. They remind Randy of soldiers standing guard over the wasteland of a place they once loved. The elevator dings again. The arrow ticks lower. The numbers around the arrow's edge had worn off long ago, and Randy has no idea what floor it's currently on he doesn't care either as he has no plans on being here when it reaches him he sprints across the lobby the dust tornadoes spin up into hurricanes the grit and grime battering his eyes scratching his cheeks and lips randy hits the double doors at a dead run expecting to burst out into the night arms raised in a v the doors remain closed even when his face slams into the glass and the impact puts him flat on his back. What the hell? Randy climbs back up and whips his head around, looking for something to break the glass. He finds an old metal newspaper rack slouching along the wall near the doors. He picks it up and hammers at the glass with the tool, each blow striking the center of the glass panes. But despite this, none of them shatter and grant him an exit. Screaming, he tries again, twisting his body into the action, swinging for the fences like he did in Little League. The metal rack crumples against the glass. Randy drops the rack and laughs. The sidewalk, five feet away, may as well have been five miles. A small group of people, three men and two women, appears in Randy's peripheral vision. They're smiling and laughing in the familiar way good friends have. Randy slaps his palm against the glass. Hey! Open the door! Help me! No one turns in his direction. They're oblivious to Randy's screaming and pounding. Randy rattles the doors in their frames, trying to pull them open. They don't budge, and he presses his forehead against the glass and whispers, One of you come open this door for me? Please! One of the women, a short lady with auburn hair and purple glasses, stops and stares directly at him. She takes a few tentative steps forward. Yes! Randy shouts. Get me out! I'm locked in! She smiles and adjusts her hair, making sure the part is in the perfect place and the ends are tucked just right behind her ears. She laughs at something and hurries after her friend's. Hey, come back! Come on! Randy watches until they're out of sight. The elevator door complains in a loud, squeaking tone as it opens behind him. and He's ten years old again, his hand in his father's wallet lifting out a couple of twenties when the old man clears his throat. Randy doesn't want to turn, doesn't want to show his face to whomever was there and whatever punishment they're going to dole out but just like when he was 10 what choice does he have he readies a hundred excuses to explain the bleeding woman and he steps forward prepared for anyone except a little blonde child wearing a white pinafore over a purple dress and sporting pigtails
2: your friend is hurt
0: her accent is British Her posture, all American. Uh, yeah, I was gonna go get help, but I can't seem to get out.
2: Surely you have one of those small telephones, the kind that fits in your pocket.
0: A cell phone? Of course I do.
2: Why didn't you just call someone,
1: silly?
0: I don't know, Randy says. I panicked. You know what? It doesn't matter. How do I get out of here?
2: That truly depends on you.
0: (laughs) She giggles. Randy doesn't think any of this is funny. And this kid... She was creepy as hell... With her luminescent green eyes and last century's fashions. Her being here in this old dilapidated building... Screams wrong. What's she doing here? Where are her parents... How can she possibly help him? Time to bite the bullet, he thinks. He digs his cell phone out of his jeans pocket and groans. The screen, cracked and black, doesn't respond to his frantic finger jabs.
2: It's a little late for that, don't you think?
0: The girl asks, an amused smile playing on the corners of her mouth. It's never too late.
2: Yes. Sometimes it is. If you like, there's a telephone upstairs you may use.
0: The girl steps back into the elevator, which has remained open. Randy looks at the injured woman, her chest rising and falling in shallow spurts. Too much blood. She won't last much longer. I'd prefer a way out.
2: The way out is up. Are you coming?
0: The way out is up? What does that even mean? He didn't relish the idea of climbing down some condemned fire escape or jumping from roof to roof. That all sounded stupid to him. But no matter how hard he tries, he can't get the bent magazine rack out of his head. The glass should have broken. Those people should have heard him. This little girl... Shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. Randy follows the girl into the elevator. The doors slide shut with as much noise as they made when they opened. The car catches, ascending in a series of jerks and stops. He hasn't pressed any buttons, and neither had the girl. Studying the interior, Randy doesn't see any buttons, no panels or even emergency stop measures. Only floor to ceiling mirrors on each of the three interior walls. They cast his reflection into infinity. And each time he turns, in every direction he looks, all he sees is himself. The way it's always been.
2: We're here,
0: the girl announces when the lift stops. The door opens into a hallway that smells like a damp basement. Randy knows there's mildew in the carpet growing exponentially from the water dripping off the peeling, stained walls. Great, where's here?
2: On the fifth floor.
0: She points to a door labeled security, brushing his arm with her own as she walks by. The iciness of her skin draws goosebumps on his own. Hey, security isn't necessary. It was an accident. And if this place wasn't so weird...
2: Do you always insult the homes of people who are trying to help you? I'm not sure I like you. You really want me to like you.
0: That's great, kid. I'm not sure I like you either. You want to help me? Open a door.
2: We must help Amanda first. It's the right thing to do.
0: Is that her name? The girl glares at him over her shoulder. There's a depth in her eyes, a cold emotion Randy can't read, other than to understand he's on dangerous ground as if he's reaching a hand out to a strange dog. It's just as likely to bite off three fingers as lick his palm. Uh, Sorry, he says. Security sounds great.
2: The office is here,
0: she tells him, pointing to the nearest unmarked door.
2: Wait inside.
0: What am I waiting for? You said there was a phone up here.
2: There is, but you asked for an open door and that requires a
0: key. The girl walks several steps down the hall. Randy wants to grab her arm and turn her back around. But he stops himself at the last minute, the memory of her eyes still fresh in his mind. Where are you going?
2: To find keys, of course. They're around here somewhere.
0: (laughs) She giggles again, a sound far too playful for this desolate, dreary place. And soon, she's skipping back the way they came, humming some tinny tune better suited to a toy ballerina in a box. The door opens without noise or fanfare, and settles against the inner wall with a sigh. Unlike the rest of the building, the security office is bright and clean, the walls so white the reflected light blinds him. Randy blinks against the glare and moves beyond the door, which shuts, unnoticed, behind him. A long counter engulfs two walls. They're covered with old typewriters and stacks of paper. Video monitors cover the walls. Each one flashes images too fast for Randy to process, the pictures scrolling from top to bottom, the way they did when he was a kid and his dad couldn't get the rabbit ears lined up. He steps closer and taps the closest one to his left. Three of the screens start to slow, while one on the right stretches, flipping slowly. But it's a monitor in the center that keeps his attention. That one hasn't slowed at all. The whole thing reminds him of that cheapest of chance games, the slot machine. Maybe it had spit out keys instead of coins. The first image rolls a final time and settles on Amanda. Randy moves in until his nose is a centimeter from the screen before he catches the minute rise and fall of her chest. Once. Twice. And not again. The second monitor quits rolling the moment Amanda stops breathing. Randy tears his gaze away from the dead woman to the new screen. No, he whispers. No, that can't be. His wife, Meredith, stands on a chair in their living room. She's fashioned a noose from several of his ties and one of his old leather belts. The business end is knotted around her neck. The other end trails off the top of the screen, probably tied around one of the aesthetically pleasing support beams that crisscross the area under the vaulted ceiling. She stares straight ahead for a long moment. Before raising her eyes to meet his, almost as if she knows he's watching. She speaks, but he can't hear the words, and Meredith gives him a small, tired smile. No, baby, don't do this. I'm sorry. Don't do this, he pleads, voice cracking understanding there's no possible way he should be seeing this, but a time and date stamp on the lower right edge of the video confirms it's happening right now. Meredith shifts her weight on the chair, and the whiteboard behind her, the one that charts all her cancer meds, comes into view. Randy hangs his head, fighting tears the fourth monitor flares and his daughter Melissa storms into the living room only it was the living room as it was 13 hours ago she's carrying a bottle of water and her book bag she was late for her first class this morning he stands in the middle of the room where his wife has the chair now arms folded a cup of coffee in one hand and his gym bag slung over his shoulder Melissa speaks And it doesn't matter, there's no sound. He replays the conversation in his memory, even as it's replayed on the screen. I'm not updating the board, Dad. You do it. Do something other than go to work in the gym. Try sitting with Mom. Maybe hold her hand or something. I have an idea. How about just talking to her? Look. No, Dad, you listen to me. Mom is dying. Whether you want to believe that or not, it's true. And she needs you now more than she ever did when she wasn't sick. You've always been something of an egocentric prick. And really, no one cared. We vacation where you want and always eat at one of your favorite places. Why do only your hobbies matter? Why can you spend thousands on expensive whiskey, but mom has to sneak money to buy an easel? You always came first, and it was all good because you just bought us whatever we wanted. But money isn't going to fix mom now, and you have to put her actual life first. How hard can it really be, Dad? And it's not like you'll have to do it long. Even you should be able to manage this. You can't talk to me this way. You can't stop me. Update mom's board. She needs to see the dosage and the times. Otherwise, she forgets. Melissa stalks past him and out of the frame. On the screen, he takes a sip of coffee and gives the board the finger before leaving. The next monitor finally halts its lazy turning, and the image punches Randy in the gut. He doubles over. Tears leak down his face, and he's sobbing, crying so hard his ribs hurt. Reaches up and shoves the monitor, unable to miss the sight of Melissa cutting her mother's dead body down with a kitchen knife. Using the counter as leverage, Randy stands up and finds the image on the center monitor steady. Melissa sits with her mother's body in her lap, stroking the dead woman's hair. Melissa raises her other hand, and she's holding Randy's pistol. She presses the barrel against her temple and speaks five words. Five words, Randy hears as if she's standing next to him. We'll no longer burden you. Randy turns away, but nothing drowns out the boom of the gunshot. He flings the door open and runs to the elevator, hitting the down button over and over again, each ding a spike in his brain when the lift arrives randy lurches into the car the door slides shut and he descends the mirrors broken now show him fragments of himself a misshapen body and life the broken pieces stretching into eternity randy bursts from the elevator and falls on the grungy tile he rests on his hands and knees heaving The dust clings to his wet face, and in those spots, the skin comes alive, and he wants to scratch. The liquor and appetizer he'd consumed at the bar rushes out of his body and splatters the floor, his hands, and a pair of dainty buckled shoes. Randy lets out a long moan. He wipes his face with his shaking hands and, standing, looks at the young girl. I have to leave, he says. Please. The girl holds out her hands. There's a key in each. One has a square head, and the other resembles a Phillips screwdriver with a five-pointed star head.
2: You can either go out the front door or the back. My father used to say that a man worth his salt used the front door, and the skunks came and went by the back.
0: Randy looks between the two doors. Amanda's body will need to be removed. He'll have to call an ambulance. The little girl told him earlier that, yes, sometimes it was too late. He can't stop everything. He feels this instinctively, but he can stop some of it. Melissa doesn't shoot herself for another 70 minutes, according to the timestamp on the last video. He can still stop her if he wants to. If he's worth assault. Am I worth assault? There's only one way to find out. Randy moves to the front door and the girl follows. The lock is obvious now, and even though it wasn't there earlier, he doesn't question it. The front doors take the square key and he takes that one from the girl's hand, inserting it into the hole. The door unlatches and swings open. Sweet, cool night air drifts in.
2: It was nice meeting you,
0: the girl says.
2: I hope to never see you again.
0: Randy walks through the opening and turns to say something. Thank you, maybe. But he's not sure, and comes face to face with a solid brick wall. Amanda leans against this new surface. Blood trickles down over the top of her ear. And Randy moves close. He probes the top and back of her head with his fingertips, searching for the massive wound. All he finds is a tiny cut on her earlobe. I'm fine. It's just a bump. Where were we? she asks, reaching. Randy backs away, checking his watch. One hour. I have to go. You can't just leave me, she says. He opens his mouth to tell her that's exactly what he's going to do, but the wall behind her fades into a set of glass doors. The little girl looks at him reproachfully. Randy blinks and digs out his cell phone, happy to see it whole and healthy now. I'll call you a cab, he says. It's the best I can do. I have to get home. Randy calls the cab company and steps into the street, seeking his location, which he gives to the dispatcher. They'll be here soon, he informs Amanda, smiling at the wall that's just a wall again. He hurries for his car and finds it in the community lot five blocks away, right where he left it. He takes this as a good sign. The engine starts and he backs up, heads into traffic. 45 minutes. Today's episode of The Lift featured a story by C. Brian Brown, The Burden of Others. If you'd like more information on C. Brian Brown and his work, please visit his website at cbrianbrown.net and follow him on Twitter at C. Brian Brown. Artwork for today's show was created by Stephen Matiko. If you'd like more information on Steve and his work, please visit wideeyedotter.com or follow him on Twitter at S underscore Matiko. This episode was scored by Nico Vitese of We Talk of Dreams, wetalkofdreams.com. Today's narrator was Daniel Foytek. That's me. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com, S1E15. And now, Victoria.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Find us at itunes.victoriaslift.com Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. You can also listen at victoriaslift.com or at Society13. Coming soon to Google Play. Follow the show on Twitter at Victoria's Lift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. The Lift opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Penninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds. The Lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitasi of We Talk of Dreams. For more information on any incidental music in this episode, Please check the show notes at victoriaslift.com for titles and credits. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. Creator and producer, Daniel Vortick. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lawman. Music director, Nico B. Art director, Stephen Matiko. All characters and works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of STRY Radio and may not be used in any form without permission. The Lift is an STRY Radio and Night Story Studios production. The show's feed is feeds.feedburner.com forward slash victorious lift.
1: Societies rise, and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio,
2: Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump.
1: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. B D W group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.